Good day there, guys, and welcome back to Blowing Cartridges, and Happy New Year when you're listening to this. 2022 has just begun, and I am joined for another year with my co-host, Brendan. Brendan, how are you in this, the year 2022? Well, I'm very concerned because it is 2022, and I didn't like 2020, so hopefully it's a better <laughs> year than that, because uh, uh, both... I guess in terms of life and also in terms of gaming, it wasn't particularly a good year. So he's hoping. Yeah, no, for sure. And if you if you want to get our thoughts on 2020, you can always listen to our 2020 recap, which we put up earlier in 2021. But for now, we want to do a recap on the year that was 2021. The uh, I guess following up the unprecedented times that were 2020 with more unprecedented times, to say the least. Um, as uh, I guess the world continued to deal with coming out and going back into lockdowns and pandemics and all that kind of stuff. And the gaming industry was no exception, I would say. And we just want to probably start by delving a little bit into that. Then we'll also talk about some of our favorite games of the year, because no matter what, even in an off year, there's still some great games that are worth celebrating. So let's get right into it. For me, I don't know about you, Brendan, but 2021 felt like a kind of a year of returns and comebacks. But when I say that, I don't say it with the same level of positivity one would normally associate with those words. Things came back or returned, but not always to positive reception or not to the same degree they were when they were last seen mm-hmm. but they at least came back that was sort of the vibe <laughs> i felt i don't know i don't know if that's uh, you had a similar takeaway or, or any other themes you sort of felt about the year that was 2021 from a gaming perspective i found it like a quite a weird year in that there was a lot of carryover from some of the things we noted in 2020 where clearly a lot of game development has been impacted and some releases that we thought or we were expecting to come out have been delayed and a lot of that continued like we're in the second year of a next generation of consoles with the ps5 and the xbox series is it series x isn't it to this day two years that later i still don't know what that console is actually called but (laughs) the xbox series x and like there's still not really that many reasons to own those consoles unless you're a true diehard. There's still a lot of cross-gen games. It's slowly building up a library, um, respectively, the two consoles, but it doesn't feel like it's quite there yet. And yes, we had some, there were some really top releases this year, but it also felt like in some regards it was lacking as well. Like like you said, there was some installments in some storied franchises and some games that people have been anticipating releasing. And in some regards a lot of people were satisfied and really enjoyed them and in other in other regards they either landed with a whimper or landed and people wanted to quickly ignore them because they weren't particularly good sort of like your example from last year and uh, crystal chronicles yeah i mean between some sequels to long awaited entries into certain series like obviously we got a new halo I banged on about and very happy with the new Pokemon Snap um, after many years. We also got a lot of remakes, remasters, ports, whatever you want to uh, call them or classify them as. Um, you know, if it's certainly for me, I was sort of looking at my list of games I played, and I played a lot of remakes or ports, um, you know, like Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, Famicom Detective Club, Skyward Sword HD. Uh, there's probably a few others that I'm just spacing out on at this point in time, but it definitely felt like, yeah, things coming back again that I, um, in, in some fashion, uh, whether again, there was a sequel, 
just the same game but with a fresh coat of paint. And I also feel like that really transitioned into the industry at large as well as people were coming back a bit after COVID. We saw events start to come back a little bit, perhaps not to the full degree they wanted to. I mean, obviously the big one that we always bang on about at this uh, in this series or this podcast is E3 came back. Uh, we had a whole episode about it, which you can go listen to, but came back in a much more muted way, uh, obviously online only. Um, and more recently, we just had the Game Awards, which were back and in person, which was you know exciting to see. But even that felt, I don't know if muted is the right word, but it definitely didn't feel as uh eventful as perhaps certain past showings of that of that show yeah just again that's why to me everything just felt like a it's it's back again and we're just sort of seeing how everyone's faring i suppose post their uh getting used to this new way of of life i guess uh, that we've all had to adjust to you're spot on and going over a lot of those events you mentioned like your e3s and even the game awards are aired a couple of weeks ago from recording we're recording started first week of january and a couple of weeks ago jeff Keeley had his game awards and a lot of the announcement there yeah there was some great announcements some interesting announcements there but there's also announcements of games that we've been hearing about for the last two three years in some regards and it just feels like it's slowly but surely starting to get back into gear but i think i'm sounding like a broken record no doubt but it does seem like it's sort of, it, it's been a bit of a drag the last few years. It's been a re- very slow going and a lot of the games we have seen have been those, I guess, remasters or reimagining of previous games or sequels in franchises that are quite reiterative in many regards. And I also feel like it's hard to 100% though attribute it to COVID because as you sort of touched on before, we asked, well, we were in the first year of... um of these, this new generation, I, I suppose, and uh, with the PS5 and Xbox Series uh, alphabet number of letter of your choice, uh, by, I'm sure, by the end of it. And it's not uncommon for these first years to be a bit, you know, wishy-washy in terms of, like, you might have one big temple uh, launch title and then you sort of flounder for a bit at, you know, until you sort of find your footing as, as developers get used to the, I guess, the new power they have to play with, new features, and, uh, and previously just quite you know unique architecture though i think in the last couple of generations things have started to be a bit more you know close to pcs uh to make it a bit easier for everyone so it's you know i think in some ways that's to be expected and when we look forward to 2022 you start to see what you'd you know normally expect in a third year or of a, of a console life cycle with a lot of big hitters from both you know microsoft and sony in theory coming out and well, again it'll be interesting to see how many actually do versus get delayed into, you know, 2023, 2024. But yeah, it definitely made for what was a fairly muted year. And if we look at Nintendo, I mean, they, they also didn't have, um, you know, they had a good year, that's for sure, but it wasn't like a, a bang out, you know, 10 out of 10 year by any stretch of the imagination. Um, again, great return with Metroid Dread. I think that was obviously, when we talk about comebacks, one of the, the better ones of the year. And again, we have a whole episode about it, so go back and listen if you haven't. <laughs> but other than that, there wasn't a ton of massive titles, which again, probably to be expected for a console about to hit, I think it's fifth year this coming March. It's As the other two are starting their life, it's potentially getting towards its 
uh, latter half, at least by the sounds of things, if not maybe the end, depending on whether we get a a Switch Pro or something, which again, another good episode from this year to listen to. I'm finding a lot of ways to plug out our 2021 content here. <laughs> plug away, my friend. Plug away. <laughs> so it, yeah, just all made for a very muted year, but in some ways, it was I was okay with it because I was it, I was able to make the most of it uh in terms of just enjoying what did come out as well as you know catch up on our backlogs from for well what spanning decades at this point in terms of how many games are in my backlog so it, was, it wasn't all that bad one other thing i mean if we have to talk about 2021 and the game industry and I, yeah i don't think we'll talk about it too much because it's a deep topic with a lot to be said and i don't think we could do it justice in just a small segment of a of a one hour show uh but obviously there was a lot of issues coming to light with bad workplace practices bullying you know overtime etc activision blizzard obviously heavy in the headlines mm-hmm. ubisoft as well in the headlines uh again we have talked about this on i can't remember which episode but we have talked about in general um boycotts and that kind of stuff and when you should do it when you shouldn't and i think that was really continuing to be a big part of this year and the story around games and while obviously the underlying things that are brought up are bad and we wish they don't did not happen and we don't want them to happen uh, i think it's good that they're starting to get the airtime they deserve from the media and the general game playing public as well again i'll throw to you brendan if you want to add anything to that uh again very intense topic it's very much been a culmination, I think, what's been revealed and a lot of the revelations that have occurred over particularly the last, well, I'd say now, the last three years or so now that we've been hearing accounts and stories about what really goes on in game development, a lot of the workplace practices and toxic environments and notions of crunch and the like. And I, we, we have discussed crunch at depth previously on a previous episode. And I think what's been revealed last year was very much it went beyond crunch it, particularly a lot of the activision blizzard allegations and revelations and in many regards what used to be blizzard has now imploded and a lot of the people that i guess form that company and define that company are no longer there and for the most part it was because well it seems that from what has been revealed that it was a very toxic boys club atmosphere and yes it's a good thing that i guess that's all been uncovered and that the people that were responsible for particular actions are no longer there. Well, at the same time, you wonder, well, is it still going on at other developers as well? Because you've had Mm. the Ubisoft, that was last year as well, I believe, those um, allegations and particular directors and owners being um, alleged to also have contributed to a toxic work environment. Mm. So it really seems to be an industry-wide problem at the moment. So... I don't want to say it would be interesting, but I, I do hope that it does improve and most developers and publishers should be on notice now that it's not acceptable behavior. Yeah, 100%. So, I, you know, you just got to hope that everyone that is reading what's happening to these big companies starts to take heed of and do reviews of their own culture, their own practices, uh, or just the stuff that might be going on without your knowledge, like, you know, because you don't have the right controls in place mm-hmm. to observe the behaviours and try and clean house a bit. I think a large issue is just where video games have come from as an industry. Mm. That I read Sid Meier's autobiography at the start of the year, and in that he details his career in gaming, and 
the thing that struck me and I think the thing that a lot of people know but we don't always think about in this context is that these people started designing games in their house in, when they were high schoolers or in their spare time when they were at university or the like or during a full-time job and when they first struck out and started their own companies it was generally them and maybe another programmer or them and like their wife being the secretary or family member and a lot of them grew from there and I think that's why a lot of them went bust in the 90s, 2000s when big money started rolling into town in gaming and if you look at a company like Blizzard for example they were part of that ride as well yes they've been they were bought out at least two three times by different larger entities but the management remained the same and these are people that never particularly had management experience and all had to learn on the job per se so I think gaming, particularly in the 80s, 90s and early 2000s, still had that startup culture and that startup vibe to it that you see now. And it's it's really only in the modern era that it's moving away from that as people have experience in those environments and know, I guess, what, what to do and what not to do, that they're able to form better and more um, more productive and more wholesome workplaces. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's almost like going just from hanging out with with the boys or whatever and <laughs> making games to running a company where that, you know, kind of mentality is no longer applicable, but you just never get pulled up on it because you're putting out multi-million dollar game after multi-million dollar game. And I think that's probably the one thing just to sort of hopefully round out the conversation that is, is going to continue to be, I guess, the ongoing point particularly with the activision blizzard story is the ramifications and what they'll be obviously there's court cases all over the shop with various parties uh, that'll probably run into not only this year 2022 but they could go on for for many many years with appeals and the like uh, and of course the big one being just the lack of ramifications for the ceo bobby Kotick. whether you think he should have ramifications or not i'll leave that up to you but personally as someone uh who has seen CEOs resign or get fired for far, far less. <laughs> and, you know, most people consider that the right thing to do, at least here in Australia. Maybe American culture is a bit different in terms of their expectations. It's surprising to me that he has not stepped down, at least. Even partly just because the man makes bloody, like, 64 million bucks or more i can't even remember but it's enough money that if i made that in one year i just retire because it's just <laughs> it's too much money <laughs> doesn't help that he's one of the main shareholders as well at this point so it would be very hard to dislodge yeah 100 percent. but it's certainly uh i mean it, it probably isn't just a, that's not just a gaming industry issue that's just general quirks and issues with capitalism in its current form but um anyway we can't we're not we're not going to delve too deep on that because it's yeah it needs probably a lot more knowledge well probably you brendan you've got the right level of uh, uh political knowledge and the like to to probably have a podcast on it but not me i'd probably uh say something very <laughs> controversial <laughs> i think we'd need many many more drinks before we do that <laughs> yep 100 percent uh and just the probably the round at the last i'd say this is more like an emerging theme it certainly capped off what i feel was the end of of 2021 from a gaming perspective and again probably just a cultural perspective beyond gaming but it's the good old blockchain non-fungible token aspect that is people are now trying to put into our video games burn it to the ground yeah (laughs) you know obviously ubisoft quartz announced and i don't know if it's been squashed or not at this point it's a bit confusing to me and then uh, i think square enix has similarly made not not an official announcement but their ceo is 
endorsed NFTs. And it's fascinating to me because uh, of two things. Obviously, I think it's interesting because at the start of the whole blockchain concept years ago, like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, whenever it started to gain enough mainstream traction that someone like me heard about it, there's certainly some fundamental good concepts with the idea of what a blockchain can do, but it's just been warped into this kind of system of, of many, many pyramid schemes. And it's really hard to discern the maybe a handful of genuine good uses that are going to help society in a positive way from the vast majority of people who are like, I'm going to draw a monkey and I'll sell it to you for two bucks and you've just got to trick someone else that's worth, you know, four bucks and you, that's how you make your money, which is, which is what it feels like to me. And when I look at what the video game companies like Ubisoft are doing, it doesn't feel like they're, they're doing anything particularly, uh, uh, moralistic it just feels like the same thing of like hey we'll sell you these things for like 10 bucks and then then you can charge whatever you want later down the track and we get a cut as well so it's just like money after money and hoping these things just skyrocket in in value by making this this artificial scarcity of a, a digital good that doesn't need to be scarce i might yeah throw to you brendan if, if you want to add to that again very uh, intense topic as I interjected earlier, yes, I, I'm very against this whole NFT craze. But if we're realistic, a lot of this behavior has been going on for nearly over a decade in gaming. If you look at how EA handled FIFA with all the microtransactions and basically hurting the fan base into spending more and more money outside of just the, I guess, 60 or 70 or $80 base game, however much you pay for FIFA 2020, whatever these days. And it's just really gone from there. And this just seems like another avenue that they're trying to exploit. And there's already been some backlash. You've seen some developers like uh, the developers behind Stalker 2 basically backflip after they briefly announced that, oh yeah, our new game that's releasing in 2022 is going to have NFTs. I think it was for skins or for some cosmetic items in the game. And after the backlash, they said, oh yeah, sorry, we were, oh, we were uh, misunderstood. And no, of course we're not going to do that. But I think one of the other gaming publishers basically said, oh yeah, like there's going to be backlash. I think it might've been Ubisoft or one of those companies on an investor call concluded that, oh, there'll be some backlash, but uh, it's something we're going to push through eventually. And I think it will come down to how profitable it really is to them, whether gamers and consumers buy into it all and honestly with things like your Genshin impacts and your gacha games taking off and people spending or whales and the like spending ludicrous amounts of money in these games I'm I'm not that hopeful that people are going to be able to I guess send the right signals that people don't want that we actually don't want NFTs well I think they'll be around for a little while from a technological and a conceptual viewpoint I personally I understand what they are I understand how they work but I don't understand why anyone would actually want one. So perhaps mm. it will just die off. And I think blockchain is a very interesting and it's not that innovative at this point, but it's a very interesting um, technology. And I think they'll be used for probably some useful things for society and the like, but I don't really see a utility in gaming at this point. And I think it'll be interesting to say where NFTs go. And uh, it's not something I'm looking forward to though. Yeah, and I think to sort of round out your point there, and it's a, something I've heard from a lot of people in games when they they eventually get approached by 
someone outside of their you know gamer group like a, a relative like an uncle or an auntie at christmas or whatever and they start talking about nfts or, or this concept which they've uh you know heard about the news and they bring it to their gamer niece or nephew who must know about it because we like technology the, the broad concept of digital ownership of items is not new and i don't quite get why we're reinventing it necessarily because we've had like mmos exist <laughs> with digital goods that people already sell on ebay in ways that they shouldn't but they do it anyway uh and and as you sort of pointed out we've got gotcha games microtransactions at the wazoo i mean nothing has been there's been no use case in my mind for why an nft version of these digital goods is any better than what is already these like artificially scarce digital goods in our existing online video games that are just pinging back to a server run by the company uh, like the only way i can see them making any sense and even then it's it's not sense from a it's good for the consumer it's just I don't know, it's another way for a gaming company to make money out of it, is to almost make digital amiibo-style things, basically, because uh, where, you know, they work in multiple games. Because that's the only real benefit, right? Like, if if they can't transition multiple forms of game or media, then you may as well just, again, have a client-based server-run MMO-style system that just verifies the ownership that way to your account. And then you trade it among in the game's own, you know, ecosystem, which is what we've been doing for decades at this point. So it's really baffling to me, like why anyone in gaming thinks it's exciting beyond the few people looking to grift the same way they did when Steam implemented its ability to sell and trade hats, and Second Life obviously has its ability to sell and trade items for real money, and Diablo tried it, and that was an absolute. <laughs> you know, I won't use an expletive, but it was just a dumpster fire of a, of of an attempt that almost ruined that whole game's release. And luckily, that got reversed, and then Diablo three ended up being a good game. But yeah, just it's just weird because it's it's just it's, it's literally reinventing the wheel to me and making the wheel like you know into a dodecahedron because they want to make it slightly more complicated. It's just anyway, I, I'm not going to rant too much more. <laughs> I don't want us to be consumed by this chat because I, I ultimately don't think it's that fruitful and it's a great annoyance on my end. I, it somewhat angers me, honestly. But I think a large part of it is unfortunately just due to how cryptocurrency has taken off and all the people that made money off cryptocurrency that now that NFTs have raid its head, people are just getting onto it just because they think they can make money, not because they actually believe in it or understand it or actually think it's a worthwhile asset to have because it's a probably the worst asset you could have but people have seen oh all these people have made thousands if not hundreds tens of to hundreds of thousands on cryptocurrency that oh, i don't i don't want to miss this train i missed it last time so i'm gonna get headfirst into nfts and see how it goes and i think it's just gonna end in tears ultimately mm, i i agree but now let's move on to some more positive stuff and move away from just the general events of the year uh, and talk uh, about the games, or at least our three <laughs> favourite games of the year. Which, again, even if for a year that we said is muted, good stuff came out that's worth highlighting. I don't know, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? I'm pretty easy in terms of which order we could, we do it. 
I'll go first, and this will be interesting because I bought plenty of 2021 games, but I've barely <laughs> played any 2021 games. So this is probably going to be a top three of, oh, yeah, these are games that I actually played. And uh, mm. I guess I'll do it from three, two, one. So number three to start with. And actually, I'm looking over the list now, and even though I just stated that I haven't played that many games, I think it's it's actually a bit of a struggle to choose which one to go first. But And technically, this isn't a 2021 game, but it was a port that released in 2021, and I played it in 2021, so that counts, right? Yeah. Actually, it counts, even though I'll explain what it is first, and I'll say that maybe it actually isn't a 2021 game. But anyway, <laughs> I'm choosing Lego Builder's Journey, which actually you recommend uh, me yep. to play, and... It's a puzzle game that heavily uses a Lego aesthetic. And actually, I'd argue that it's one of the Lego games I've played that actually uses the idea and conceptually how Lego works to the best. Like you're moving around these blocks and you're clicking them into place and helping your Lego man that you're trying to push along his journey, get across traverse terrain effectively. And all the entire environment's made out of Lego and the way the Lego pieces available, click into the environment and you can use it to traverse the environment. Like these are things that you could build yourself if you had the right Lego pieces. It's quite intuitive in that way. And I think it did a really good job at that. But why I think it might not be a 2021 game for me is that I actually did play it on iOS, which I think that did release a couple of years ago on Apple Arcade. But I think they did add additional content since then when they ported it to all the other consoles, so we'll count it as a 2021 game. You played it this year, so let's let's call it as it is, for 2021 for you. And yeah, I agree. I, I loved LEGO Ability's Journey. I think, you know, you don't expect a LEGO game to be as emotionally, mm-hmm. um, you know, resonating as that, as any, well, as that one was. When you compare it to, like, the Traveler's Tales LEGO series, it's, it's nothing like those. And as you said, it, it really takes the fundamental LEGO concept in an interesting way and you could make a similar game without lego and i mean there are games kind of like that in terms of the puzzle solving but i think the yeah, lego aesthetics just really pleasing uh and adds to it for probably almost anyone because you know i think it's impossible to not really know what lego is right and have some sort of affinity for it it's just a very pleasing colorful plastic <laughs> product uh, and toy which is probably why it's been largely successful for so many years a bar a few where it, where it almost wasn't but yeah it's definitely worth checking out and it's it's not a long experience so it's the kind of thing where if you're you know sitting at home right now a bit bit still you know woozy from a few too many uh parties <laughs> over christmas and new years uh it's a pretty chill game that does require a little bit of thought but not like anything too too you know intense uh so it's a great one to knock out in an afternoon or uh, over a couple of evenings, if you whatever you prefer, play it with someone. Like you know, like a, a there's a, a, a good uh, sort of couch co-op game where someone might watch with you and sort of tell you where to. Oh, look, you can probably place this here, and uh, that'll help build this bridge or whatever it might be. It's uh, yeah, really good. And I, you touched on it briefly, but it is such a heartwarming story as well that I did not intend to. Well, I, I didn't predict I'd encounter. It's a it ultimately is a coming of age story and it's quite a it's it's a really touching one as well which you don't really expect with a lego game like most of them like you inferred like the traveler's tales games are all more showing how lego can be light-hearted and how it can be funny and comedic whereas this one goes in the other direction and does it really effectively and successfully so 
because I believe it's an internal Lego development team. So I'll be interested to see where they go next because they can clearly craft a really, really wholesome and enjoyable narrative. A hundred percent agree. So what's your number three, Zach? Yeah, this is hard. I, if I've had four, I think I've got an easy four, but picking which one to be number three, I've been going back and forth a couple of times. But ultimately, I am going to go with the game that I think probably gave me the most joy of the two. It's really hard to pick between them. But that is, and it's it's kind of a weird one, because it's not a game you can buy by itself. You have to buy it with another game, and you can probably guess what this is after that brendan but it's <laughs> bowser's fury yes. which was included in uh super mario 3d world on the switch uh which i almost forgot was this year to be honest with you because uh for me i've i've moved houses since i played that so it kind of feels like a different year but no it's it's not it was march or, or feb or something of this year uh and that was fantastic i mean i love 3d mario in particular i'd like super mario 64 and sunshine and more recently, Odyssey, as controversial as that may be, maybe more than, say, Galaxy and uh, even 3D World, because I just like the exploration rather than the more linear levels. That's that's my taste, probably, because I grew up with a 64, playing 3D platformers of that kind. Uh, and Bowser's Fury is such a great little sandbox experience with Mario that really stands on its its own two feet and lays a really interesting concept for an even more open world kind of Mario game versus what Super Mario Odyssey presented. Uh, just having this this uh, map, oh, I'm blanking on what it's called. I know it's got a, a cat pun name of, of some kind. <laughs> but like this just entire interconnected map with kind of like island uh, sections which represent the, the levels with the, you know, maybe five shines on each one to collect and a few bonuses around the lake as well was uh, lake lapcat that's what it was came back to me lapcat <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it was just really good uh it, it a great a bunch of great variety because you got the standard you know you got your snow you got your your lava uh, and a bunch of other things to sort of mess around with you could jump around from from island to island pretty easily riding uh plessy uh was great fun uh kind of like a speedboat around the lake my only real complaint with it, uh, other than it would have been great to see this idea fleshed out in a longer game, was just the, uh, I guess, the holdover from it being somewhat linked to Super Mario 3D World, that you had to hold the B button to, to run, which I think is just unnecessary in any sort of <laughs> 3D game, or really just any game where you, you've got an analog stick. To, uh, I think it's unnecessary in 3D World as well. But but other than that, it was a ton of fun, you know, 100 percented it which uh is you know and i just didn't stop playing it until i got that 100 percent because it was just so satisfying to solve all the puzzles do all the platforming challenges uh and just explore that that little world as as mario i mean mario is probably my favorite video game franchise and this is some top tier mario and uh, even if you didn't like 3d world i'd almost say it's worth buying just to experience this which is uh, unfortunate that it's the only way to do it. I really wish digitally they had done a a split purchase of both because uh, I think that would have been ideal for those who didn't want to rebuy 3D World like like me or um, yeah. people who just don't like 3D World, <laughs> um, which is not many people, but I'm sure is some. So yeah, I don't know. Did you did you end up playing Bowser's Fury at all? 
as of yet, I haven't played it, and that's because I'm in that former category you mentioned in that I have it on Wii U uh, 3D World, and I really don't want to... I really didn't want to repurchase it, and given my back catalogue and that I buy all these games and I don't necessarily get the chance to play them when I buy them, I decided to pass on it, and I can't even say I'll wait for a sale because I know, and you know as well, that it'll never go on sale because it's a first-party Nintendo release, so... I really do wish it was decoupled from the pack and that I could just download it and play. I'd be willing to pay for it as well, even though I often avoid digital games because I've heard good things about it. Like, I think some people thought it was a little bit half, a little bit um, half-baked or a bit repetitive, but I think overall most people had the thoughts that you, or you just described in that it's a really well-put-together, tight experience and it's a not a, it's not just a supplement to 3D World. It, it really stands on its own right, and perhaps they could have fleshed it out a bit more if it was a its own game and they didn't tie it to a re-release. Who knows? But we have it in the package we do, and probably it is worthwhile to play for those people that didn't own a Wii U and you get 3D World with it as well. And I thought 3D World was a really good multiplayer experience back in the day on the Wii U, and I'm sure it's held up as well. So it's one I'd like to check out, but maybe I'll find someone with a copy and borrow it and do it that way. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. And I will say, though I say 3D World and Galaxy and Galaxy 2 are less preferred for me than um, Open World Mario, Mm. although not Open World, Explorative ones, uh, I still love them and I still love 3D World. Uh, I played a bit multiplayer on Switch and it's still great. Uh, Online worked reasonably well. When I had good internet, now that I don't, I'm sure it's crap. But yeah, it's if you haven't played either game, it's it's a no-brainer. If you have any interest in Mario or just 3D platformers in general, you should give it a whirl. But Brendan, back to you for your number two. Well, this one won't be a surprise at all to anyone. And uh, I'm just going to go out and say it, though. My number two is... Oh, actually, I, I've just changed my number two and number one. No, I've changed it back again. I'm going with my first gun instinct. <laughs> my number two is Age of Empires 4, which mm. I discussed during our music episode, uh, our last episode that went up just after Christmas. And this is a game that I've been waiting for for a very long time. I'm a diehard Age of Empires 2 fan. Age of Empires 2 was actually the very first proper PC game I learned to play back in the day. My first PC games would arguably be those, I guess, edutainment children's games on PC that I think everyone played in the late 90s, early 2000s. But if we're talking about proper video game experiences, AOE 2 was that for me. And it's one I've always continuously played. I've I've always gone back to it every now and then. And I think I probably argue that I've nearly played it every year since it first came out, give or take. And Age of Empires 4 probably won't have that same impact that 2 had on my life and on my gaming experience more broadly than my life. It had an impact on my life, um, Age of Empires 2, in the regard that it really instilled within me a love of history, which is something I carry to this day. But talking about Age of Empires 4 itself, it's a really well-designed and crafted experience. It's a great RTS game in an age where the RTS genre Mm. is... It's been a life support, arguably, for 10 years. It, there hasn't really been major releases outside of all those StarCraft II expansions that sort of came and gone. And there's a few indie titles here and there and some last holdouts like your Dawn of War series um, entries and Company of Heroes. But those are very different RTS games to those traditional base-building ones that 
were very popular or very much popularized in the late 90s early 2000s and Age of Empires 4 is a game that's in that tradition it it wouldn't have been out of place in that era but it adds a lot of modern sensibilities like the graphical engine it uses um it tightens a lot of mechanics in the in Age of Empires 2 but also adds a few more makes a lot of the civilizations more unique to play and overall it's just a it's just a, such a fun experience. I, I've barely scratched the surface myself so far. Like I've I've played a bit of the campaign. I've played some multiplayer online, and there's just a lot there. As that sort of as that type of game, there always is. You can go in and play the campaign on your own. You can play random matches against AI computer opponents, or you can dive headfirst into the multiplayer and spend countless hours in that. So there's just a lot of endless possibilities in the game, and. It's one I'm recommending to a lot of people at the moment, particularly those people that enjoy RTS games and the games of the that that era of RTS games, which it's sort of less and less people these days that enjoy that style of game. It's it's a bit of a niche, I find, but it's definitely a game that I'll be playing well past 2021 and into 2022 and beyond. When I say, you know, early in the episode that, it, you know, this is a year of comebacks, Age Empires 4 certainly fits that category i suppose there's a a long-awaited sequel to a very beloved franchise and uh I, while i personally have yet to give it a shot i am keen myself to at least try it for me age of empires while i know there are campaigns i never really touched them for me it was always uh land parties at friends houses um and just playing a match where we're all in different rooms or and yelling at each other basically uh and i i'm hoping with the advent of, of Game Pass on PC, uh, it'll be easy enough to find a few people to who have subscribed to download it and have a game online or, or again, even ideally maybe in at each other's houses now that we can do that <laughs> and um, try and replicate that experience because it sounds like from what you I've heard from yourself and others, it's just, it hits the notes that you wanted it to hit after from you know my vague recollection but three uh still i think a good game but just didn't quite hit all the right notes from as a follow-up to two whereas four feels like it's it's much more it's a lot closer to two uh while still as you said adding a lot of uh, quality of life improvements bringing it into the, the modern era in terms of graphics and um just improving things uh in general uh and taking the series forward so yeah, keen to, to give it a whirl, hopefully sometime this year. Yes, and just some final thoughts on what you said. I think part of the reason why 3, I guess, isn't as highly regarded as 2 and 4 very much goes back to 2 instead of 3 in that I think that mid to late 2000s era for the RTS genre, a lot of developers are trying to figure out where to take the genre next, what, what the next evolution was going to be. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of those attempts ended up to be dead ends even if there were some successful attempts at the time like your company of heroes for example that focus more on i guess squad management than base building and and those aspects of uh rts games instead of what traditionally had been established by games like age of empires 2 like starcraft like command and conquer and all those i guess legendary games whereas 4 is very much it's it's content with just going back to the formula and improving it. It's not trying to be the next great thing in the RTS genre because, as I alluded to, it is a stagnant genre. It's a genre that, unfortunately, I think it hit up against a dead end, and I think it's just from what what the genre is at the end of the day. There's only so many things you can do with it, so many places you can take it to that when you're trying to evolve it, you're just 
it's not an RTS game anymore. It's something completely different. And I think that's why, I guess, by consumers and by gamers in that more people are interested in your 4X-style games, like your Crusader Kings, like your Civilizations and the like, than, than your traditional RTS games because they offer something more grand and something more bold and something that also can't be evolved upon by that much. But the more complex AI you get, the more complex systems you can build that you can flesh out those games that way. So a bit of a tangent, I know, but just something I thought is quite intriguing to think about. You know, it 100% is. And uh, yeah, it'll just be very interesting to see if and how Age of Empires 4 may or may not pave the way for some more companies to try their hand at bringing back their RTS franchises. It's really hard to say. It doesn't feel like the game has commercially done bad, but it also doesn't feel like it's commercially done like gangbusters. So um, it's really... It leaves me at least uncertain as to whether it's going to be the revival that perhaps some people want. But I wouldn't be shocked to see if this this game continue itself. Um, I don't know if you know, but they might. I'm not sure if they've announced expansions or DLC. But I can certainly see this being a game that does get you know an expansion or a big DLC pack in the next couple of years, and they might just try and keep it um, chugging along for a, for a good while, uh, and eventually it might just kind of have its game of a service you know continual steady presence and enough to, for microsoft to go okay age of empires is certainly a brand we want to keep invested in and, and other companies look at it and go yep we should be making some rts's ourselves and getting back into that space because there's there's definitely an audience so they've certainly teased extra civilization so i think those will be coming via dlc and it'd be weird if there wasn't because there was an expansion for Age of Empires 2 that came out last year that added new civilizations to that game. So, yes, that has an established <laughs> fan base that keeps on buying the content. But given that exists, I think they'll probably... I think they will add some more things to 4, but you're right. What the longevity will be like, who knows? And it's probably a bit telling that the only people talking about the game are your diehard Age of Empires or RTS fans. It unfortunately hasn't seemed to have had that much of an impact outside of those circles yet maybe maybe that will come i don't know maybe we'll take off in streaming or what the cool kids pay attention to these days we can only hope but it'll, it'll be interesting to watch mm, agree so zach what's your number two and i think after we do twos we'll allow an honorable mention or two if we yeah. want to do that i think that'd be good that we do it after ones or after twos i don't mind so number two for me another comeback one I've talked about both before it came out and then after, now that it has come out a few times on the show, uh, in some capacity, probably not a shock, new Pokemon Snap, <laughs> which is 100%, like, I'm not saying it's, like, the best game or second best game of 2021 universally, but for me, I can't not have it in my top three. Uh, obviously, I love the original, and... Uh, if you if if young Zach had written down a list of what he would want in a, a sequel to Pokemon Snap, new Pokemon Snap ticked probably every box, which is rare because I find so many sequels try to go in a direction that they just shouldn't, and it just they change things in a way that's just unappealing, or it's like oh this is good, but there's just something slightly off, and so it leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth. New Pokemon Snap did none of that; it was just a straight-up sequels just 20 years later. It added new courses. It added 
routes to the courses, which is such a smart idea to make it so they're a bit more, you know, replayable. It just added a ton more Pokemon, which is probably the main thing anyone ever wanted in a in a sequel to New Pokemon Snap. It added some changes to the original items to make them a bit more uh, acceptable in, in 2021 when throwing, uh, you know, apples and uh, poisonous toxic balls at, pro- at animals is probably not <laughs> the right thing to do. It... Not that the story in a game like Pokemon Snap matters, and, and not to say that the story isn't good, I'm not going to tell you here that it is, but the fact that they actually brought back in a story capacity the original character from Pokemon Snap uh, is just fantastic for those who did play it so many years ago. You know, my only real gripe with the game was the music, which is why it didn't feature in our music episode last week at all, because it's, it's just completely lackluster compared to the original, which had some great music, but everything else is great. Uh, they added free DLC during the year, which is always lovely. So there's been no paid content added, just, you know, three new tracks um, for free. Don't know if there'll be any more. Hope they will. Doubt it. But but even if they charge me, you know, 10 bucks or, or more, 20 bucks for an expansion pack with some extra courses, I'd be happy to pay for it. Put over 20 plus hours into it. I think getting every Pokemon, but haven't got all the 400 plus you know poses and and special um photo shots yet that's that's probably going to take me years to keep chipping away at uh and i do that's the thing i even you know as recently as last month i jumped back in just you know because i wanted a chill game i just wanted to play something for 30 minutes before bed and i'm like i'm just going to do a couple of laps of one of the of the tracks and just try and knock out a couple more poses and and shots of, of pokemon that i hadn't previously got and uh that's a lot you can say for a rail shooter. Uh, well, it's such a simple genre that normally you finish the game in two hours and it's just up to you to go back for high scores. I think I've done a great job at making it quite a long, fun, extensive uh, experience. Uh, and again, I just think any the general consensus I've seen from fans of the original was this was a great sequel. Uh, I don't know anyone that's was upset at it. And uh, I think that's very impressive and it's why it's my number two. Yeah, I haven't played it yet myself, though I have watched my older sister play it, and so I've seen quite a bit of it, and I, I've seen how well it does. I guess it, it brings a concept of Pokemon Snap into 2020, well, it brought it into 2021, it brought it into the modern day, and it has a lot of quality of life improvements without moving too far away from what made the first game so compelling and so enjoyable and so memorable for all the people that played it back in the day or it's that one pokemon spin-off game that so many people loved and enjoyed and just clamored to see and i think new pokemon snap shows that a lot of the detractors of the original pokemon snap very much said oh people only liked it because it brought pokemon into 3d for the first time and people just wanted to see those 3d models but it was a gameplay that also elevated the experience it was that sense of adventure it gave even though it was a on the rails game it was that collectathon nature to it which encapsulates what compelled people and what drew people to the original pokemon games and i think that's why it is a rail shooter with replayability because it has that collectathon idea it has the feeling that you just want to keep on playing to get all the photos to to see everything you can see in the game and well the only real criticism i've heard and i saw whilst i watched my sister play was the lack of evolutions that the first game had. And I think that's the one Mm, criticism nearly everyone cited in discussions and in reviews of the game that 
all the Pokemon are static, whereas there was that extra layer of interactivity in the first game that is unfortunately not there anymore for some reason. Who knows why they made that design choice not to do it. Perhaps they just forgot about it. Perhaps there was a reason they couldn't pull it off. But it's a game that's on my list that hopefully I'll get to in 2022 because I love that original 64 game and I'm I'm looking forward to enjoying new Pokemon Snap too. Yeah, no, you're right. The evolution missing is is uh, a shame. And uh, it's one of those things where I say this about so many things, but I'd love to have been in the room when that call was made because surely it was a discussion point and either it was... My gut feel it's going to probably be something weird like branding guidelines have have, have changed so much since um, back in the 90s and they're like, well, you can't have it evolve because if it evolves when you go back in the course, how can it be not evolved or something weird like that was was probably brought up. Then they just scrapped it and or, you know, it, it was just too hard to, to make the evolutions. Um, but yeah, overall, I think uh, it's just a, it's a great package. It's a great follow up to a game. I won't say it's a perfect sequel, but it's up there with like, you know, it does what a sequel, you know, should do. So yeah, give it a whirl. If you've never played Pokemon Snap, give it a whirl as well, because it's it's just jolly fun. But Brendan, should we do our uh, honorable mentions? And I don't know if you want to start just rattling off a few games that almost made it to your top three, but, but didn't quite get there. Sure. So I have two games and they very much probably round out the 2021 games I played. So a little bit of cheating there, but... Firstly, I'll actually mention one that will probably surprise some people, but and might have made my top three. It might have cracked the list if I've actually finished it, but currently in the early days of a playthrough of it. But that game is Biomutant, which was one that had a bit of hype about it when it was first announced, got delayed a bit, got released, and when it was released, it was just, I guess, regarded by a lot of people just as a very janky ARPG developed by a European studio, which no disrespect to European studios, there's a lot of them I I like the output, but there's a very derogatory term some people use. Well, I consider it a bit derogatory, but they called Euro jank games because there's certain design choices and I guess just due to budget limitations and timelines and the like that there's sort of, there, there generally is a feel to the games that they, that, that they sometimes come across as a bit undercooked and a bit broken and Definitely in the early hours of Biomutant, you feel that. But it has an interesting world. It, it does some interesting things with the ARPG genre that I've been enjoying it. And probably not a game I'm going to remember for many, many years to come. But it's an enjoyable experience. And I guess that contrasts with my other honorable mention, which is Monster Hunter Rise, which again, probably would be in my top three. But just haven't played enough of it. But what I've played of it, I've been wowed by it because... Monster Hunter is a series that I've tried before to get into it, never really managed to. Rise is a game that I think finally bridges that gap. And I think, well, Monster Hunter World arguably did it as well. I never really touched World, but I heard it it did similar things in that it really opens up the game to a broader audience. And I'm finding that with Rise in that I've played a few sessions with a good friend of mine who's a big Monster Hunter fanatic. He's played World and I think a lot of the games since the 3DS days and he, he took me through a bit of it and also I've experienced the single player and I think it probably ha- argue, it probably has the best tutorial the C- Capcom's developed for the series yet and it really helps you ease into the mechanics of the game and understand how Monster Hunter works. So I, I'm really enjoying my experience there. Didn't really expect to. It was sort of, I bought it on a whim because of 
yet another lockdown that happened in Victoria, and I'm not regretting that purchase. I think for me, what because uh, I'm similar to you, I've tried a lot of Monster Hunters and haven't really latched on to any of them. And uh, while I haven't certainly played as much Rise as I would like to have played, um, I think the speed of Rise really helps as well. It's just much faster and smoother than previous entries. Maybe Worlds definitely got its. It was already a step up in the smoothness, uh, you know, category from my perspective. With that, the wire bug, the the speed and of getting around and just doing stuff in Rise, I think makes it way more accessible and way more, in my opinion, just more fun to play and more addictive. So I echo your sentiments there, Brendan. I'll run through my honorable mentions pretty quickly. Again, it probably just rounds out the game's that I've at least touched in 2021 to some extent, uh, but not all of them. I'll go with Lost Judgment first, which is the mm. sequel to the original Judgment. If you haven't played either Judgment game, it's or or Yakuza game, it's a spin-off to the Yakuza series where you play as a lawyer turned detective who you know spends a lot of his time going around and beating up uh, gangsters or other people trying to solve a particular case, as well as a lot of funky side missions. Um, like running, you know, like going into VR, like Monopoly Worlds, or like getting a girlfriend, or God, there's just a bunch finding like panty thieves. That's yeah. Anyway, it's a bunch of stuff. Uh, and Lost Judgment's the sequel. It's a great follow up to the first. Uh, it has a bit of a, a high school sort of element going on, where you, you sort of volunteer at a high school and get involved in sort of that kind of drama or, that's going on with the students, like bullying and that kind of stuff. Uh, and again, just a really interesting sort of you know murder mystery plot with a a a lot of intrigue which i'm still only part way through uh worth checking out i think you can get the original one now on ps5 and probably quite cheap on other systems uh so give it give it a whirl uh and if you like it then i'm sure the sequel will appeal to you as well famicom detective club both of the games um because i think you have to buy them combined here in australia Mm. um remakes of adventure games from well, the 80s, I guess, from the creator of, of Metroid that have never released outside of Japan before now. Pretty simple, but if you're a fan of adventure games to the style of, say, Phoenix Wright, you play this and you can just see how these inspired those. And in some ways, when you consider that they are for like the, the Nintendo Entertainment System, <laughs> the the amount of options and the way things work are pretty impressive because uh, the, the remakes other than updating the art style and music and everything uh, are fairly faithful like they haven't like done a ton of quality of life improvements or changes to the um to the options and stuff so you know sometimes things can be a little obtuse in terms of how you need to you know combine your your actions and choices to get to where you need to get but still quite impressive when you consider how old they are and it both sort of intriguing little plots that connect together and i mean that sort of goes straight into my my other honorable mention just being the great ace attorney chronicles which is the the ports and re or remasters of great ace attorney onto switch which were two 3ds games that only released in japan but now again out in the west never played an ace attorney game great ones to jump into because they're completely sort of standalone just telling the story of a um the ancestor of the of phoenix Wright as he made his way into england to practice and try being a lawyer there so give those games a whirl if you like that style of game and the last honorable mention that i've played enough of to justify there's a bunch i've started but only for like five minutes so 
probably shouldn't <laughs> go on for too long. Um, and it'll probably surprise people. And I'm, I'm curious if it might be even be your number one, Brendan, because it was almost my number one, and it was almost my number two, and it was almost my number three, and now I'd say it's definitely my number four, <laughs> Is uh, was Metroid Dread. Yep, that's my number one. Yeah, so I, I won't go on to it too much, because I'll throw it to you to say what you want to say then. <laughs> so I probably won't say much about it either, because if uh, people are interested, you can go back and listen to... Oh, I don't even know the episode number, I think. I think it's episode 26 of Blowing Cartridges. That sounds sure. about right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, around 26, 25. But go go back, listen to the episode if you haven't already. And if you have, I think you probably know that why myself, why Zach, and why our guest at the time, Josh, really enjoyed Metroid Dread. And for me, it was just it was a return to force of the series. It was a really good Metroidvania, probably one of the best I've played in a long time. And... It just does so many things right from a game design perspective. It's a really good game to play feeling what feel wise. Like Samus moves so well. The controls are sublime. It never really feels like it's the game's fault if you fail, if you lose to a boss. It's always the player's fault. It's always your fault. And I think that's what good difficulty is in a game. You never want to think, oh, I died because the game had a weird hitbox or something glitched out and I couldn't do anything and like th- that's why I failed and I had to play again. Games like that, you just get really tired. In games like that, you just want to stop playing and move on to something else. But there was never a moment in Metroid Dread that I felt like that. And something that we didn't particularly talk about in our Dread episode and something I haven't particularly encountered but I want to do another playthrough or two to do is the amount of sequence breaking that that game allows, the amount of mm. going off the beaten track and uh, tackling it in different orders is possible in Metroid Dread. Because I think in our discussion, we did it probably came across as we were arguing that it was quite a linear experience and it, it guides your hand because it does in many regards. It, it very much pushes you in a certain direction. But the beauty of Dread is that you don't have to go in that direction. You can go off the beaten path. You can try to do things that... It seems that you're not supposed to be able to, but the developers have allowed you to do it, to get to different parts. And I think a lot of it is designed as well because there's certain bosses that I, like since in other reviews and discussions I've um, seen since playing the game myself, that and there's parts of bosses I noticed things and I thought, oh, is that a different way to tackle that boss? And indeed it is. There's, if you have a particular weapon when you face a boss that you probably shouldn't have, but if you do get it, you can easily defeat that boss using that tactic and there's all different things like that that the game allows you to do that it was designed to allow you to do which i think is just just goes to the beauty of the game and why it's my game of 2021 yeah i mean again i won't say much because we have a long episode about it um but just to round out what you just said i i agree it's mercury steam and, and i assume also the staff at nintendo and sakamoto metroid dread shows me that yes they do listen to the fans and understand what the fans do and how they play Metroid, I guess is what I'm trying to say, because I think that sequence-breaking aspect and the way they handled it just goes to show, like, hey, yes, speedrunners or just glitch hunters or people who just like to experiment the heck out of how they can play Metroid games in different ways, which which has always sort of been a feature of the series from you know, even back in Metroid 1, there's just so many interesting speed runs and sequence breaks that they acknowledge it and they've just embraced it rather than going, oh, we need to make sure that we 
we get it right this time guys no no glitches no no way for anyone to get past an area that they shouldn't we want them to experience it the way we we intended well again still also managing to have the uh, what i helped loved was having a good guide to that that at any point in time when i wanted to be back on track and just move forward i could do it so i think that was just really well done and just echo everything you said so yeah i mean it was almost my number one and i may be partly biased because we did an episode on it that i decided to knock it down a bit to, to give some <laughs> other games a bit of time to shine um but at the same time the my my number one game i think also is it's probably is my genuine favorite game of 2021 and i don't think it'll be a shock to anyone mm-hmm and that is uh, a game that I featured on last week's episode with the music, yep. Unpacking. I knew it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 not a shock. I think to speak again a bit about Unpacking um, for people that maybe didn't listen to last week's, it's a, I guess you would say a puzzle game where you move through the life of a girl, eventually a woman, um, and she moves houses. And each time you move house, you got to unpack your stuff. And it's up to you, the player, to to fit everything in a appropriate place it doesn't have to be the best place but it needs to make at least a little bit of sense um it's made in australia which is very fun because there are certain things that we do that are different culturally and it's been fun to see on twitter people get very confused by certain objects being placed in certain areas that to us is pretty um you know normal i suppose or just things that i don't know just they don't have over there and then it's also made by someone who I'm guessing is close in age to Brendan and I, or maybe even a little bit older, because but they, you know, feature GameCubes and then Wii's and Xbox 360s, uh, or not officially, but variants of them, and that's very cool to see. But that's all just you know fun stuff. What actually makes it, I think, so special is the way it integrates the gameplay and the environmental storytelling because there's not there's very little text in the game there is some but not a ton you never see any characters you just see the rooms as you go and pack them but each chapter or level whatever you want to call it uh, manages to convey so much in terms of not only what objects are you unpacking what that says and and the environments you're unpacking them into that tells you a lot about the person you're playing i guess kind of as but also the people she's living with or about to live with but also certain aspects around how you're allowed to pack is what i'll say you know i mean just to without giving too much away uh you know there is one move where you go to a a you're moving in with someone and in that particular one you can't move anything that's already in their apartment if if you want to put your uh, your, I don't know, your, your statue that you wanted a volleyball tournament or something on a shelf you got to find the space you can't move their stuff around to place it then later down the track you move in with other people and uh, you can move their stuff around and you can make it so you've got equal wardrobe space and uh, it's a bit more like you know it just feels like you're, you're moving in together rather than you just boarding with another human being and being in their place and I think it's just such a smart way of conveying a lot without any text or cutscenes or anything like that music is fantastic the whole soundtrack's 10 out of 10 and i definitely recommend listening to it but just play the game first because why not um it's a short game maybe two or three hours and again probably something if you um want to do like a pseudo couch co-op thing where you play with another person and you sort of just discuss where where to put the uh 
you know, where, what shelf do we want to put our GameCube and uh, what goes first? Do we do Mario Kart Double Dash first or do we do <laughs> Twilight Princess first? Or what, what are we doing here in terms of order? That can be a lot of fun. Do you organize your games by alphabetical order or by purchase order? Uh, in real life, I strive for alphabetical. Um, I used to have them all in alphabetical in my parents' house and then uh, these days, it's more just wherever they can fit. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in the game, yeah, you can decide how you do it unpacking with much less to, to deal with. But yeah, give it a shot. It's an Aussie game. It's available on, obviously, PC and Switch. Uh, and I, I think probably one or two other systems, or if not, I'm sure it'll come to every... Oh, Game Pass. I think it's on Game Pass, so it must be on Xbox. But yeah, give it a whirl. It's such a clever game. Uh, it's it, I'm glad it became kind of a zeitgeist not to the same extent as goose game but certainly good enough for the, the studio to make a good amount of money and hopefully make another masterpiece in the future and i'm very excited to see what's next from uh the developers it's one on my radar and you've very much solidified that i'll probably pull up my switch eShop after we record this and have a look at it because it was one i was probably gonna wait for a sale but i think i probably should support a great australian developer so and that it's a short game as well. I can power through it as well. So those are those experiences are always um, appreciated in this day and age. I mean, look, there are a lot of good games. Unlike uh, people that work at IGN or, or GameSpot or whatever, who whose full-time job is to play games, so they get to play a lot more. There are tons we didn't touch or didn't, you know, or we barely touched um, that I'm sure deserve a mention. But this is our podcast, so this is just reflective of our experiences. So hopefully you will understand that and don't get too upset if we didn't talk about a game you loved. But if you want to tell us about a game you love that should have, that we need to play and make sure we, uh, you know, fill out our, our 2021 games list. Uh, Brendan, where could someone reach out to us and, and tell us of their favorite games of the year? If people want to reach out and contact blowing cartridges, they can do that on a number of formats. They can go to their email service and they can, type out a missive to at blowingcartridge at gmail.com. They can go on social media, either Facebook or Twitter, and they can go to at blowcartpod. They can find us on Podbean. They can find us on iTunes and Spotify. You can even leave reviews on iTunes. You can leave five-star reviews. You can put a comment in on Apple Podcast, and you can tell us what you really think of the podcast. You can tell us how it's the best thing ever and how you bully all your friends and family to listen to blowing cartridges. And also if you, on a personal note, if you want to contact me, you can do that at Tamazoid on Twitter. Tell me what you're looking forward to in 2022. And you can do the same with Zach at Eggerino. So Zach, to close this off, what's your predicted highlight of 2022? What are you looking forward to? Man, that's a good question. I think... I think it's got to be as predictable of an answer as it is. It's It's got to be Breath of the Wild 2, <laughs> or whatever it's going to be called. <laughs> well, I'm there with you too, mate. Yeah, I mean, love Breath of the Wild. Definitely uh, keen to see the sequel. I mean, historically, I've found um, kind of the pseudo-sequels of Zelda games can often be some of the best, for me at least, like Majora's Mask, is I prefer to Ocarina of Time. So I'm very keen to see how this evolves uh, the Breath of the Wild format and hopefully some weird ways. Uh, and obviously been waiting long enough for it. It's been two or three years, I think two years since it was announced. So very keen. 
Uh, is that your answer, or do you have a different one? <laughs> yep, it is my answer, but uh, damn it, Zach, we've probably jinxed ourselves, and it'll be delayed to 2023. Yeah, no, no, 100%. And uh, if that's the case, I guess I'll just live with poor man's Breath of the Wild with uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus, which, which is unlikely to be that delayed, given it's going to be out in, like, two weeks or three weeks or something like that. So, yeah. Alrighty. Well, until next time, guys, we'll... Uh, Keep keeping it real. Yeah, keep it real, and uh, hopefully, you you know, not dusting off dust off your your games because you got some cool new ones for Christmas that you're popping into your the systems or pressing the start button on because we don't pop discs into things anymore. It's all digital. Unless you're one of those legends who spent five hundred dollars on an analog pocket. If so, I, I salute you, sir. I salute you. <laughs> oh, that wasn't me yet. <laughs>